Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's up, buds? This end hit along the wall. A puck to the left point. Kept in by Orbit. Down in front of shot. And they score! And it's Devontae Smith Pelly on a save at a left point. DSP save of the day. We're tied at three with 10 08 to go. How about Devontae? The Caps with life here in game five. Back to Japers Rink Radio. Hi, I'm your host Adam Stringham, and today I'm happy to be joined by Alan May of NBC Sports Washington. How you doing, Alan? Great. Thanks for having me back, Adam. Yeah, it's been a while. Thank, thanks again for taking the time. And like with the playoffs coming up, I think now's the best time to have you. Um, we're coming off the Capitals just shut out the Islanders for the second time in three games, and have now gone three straight without surrendering a goal at even strength. You know, in your mind, what are the Capitals doing right now that's allowing them to so effectively limit the Islanders' uh, offensive chances? Well, I think the biggest thing with the Capitals is, you know, we look back a couple weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, and everyone was ragging on the defensemen and questioning the goaltenders again. And to me, a lot of the Capitals' problems were how the forwards were playing the game with their, their puck management decisions, puck placement uh, what they were doing when they had the puck offensively, not shooting at certain times, really late on the forecheck, bad decisions as the, as the lead forecheck in their system called the one-three-one. Even if it was a, a one-one-three, which is you know it's all just numbers right now. So you know the people that really don't get the understand the value of the different descriptions. Um, the lead player in any forecheck, the first man, they call it F1, was Craig Lachlan's favorite. And, but it's just the first man on the puck has to be right at it for this system to work. And when they weren't doing it, when they were late and making poor decisions, they were allowing the other teams that they were playing, didn't matter who it was, to wind up, gain speed. And in the 1-3-1, one, one, you've got a lead attack. You've got three guys standing stationary up near around the center ice red line and a defenseman back just inside your blue line, and they're all basically flat-footed, and you allow anyone to wind up, get their legs going. It doesn't matter if you're the slowest players in the team. You're going to win the race against that team that's standing stationary. So I look back at that, and everything was out of flux, and it was making defensemen look bad. It made Brendan Dillon look really bad. It looked that 8-4 Islanders game. It looked Chara and and, and all of a sudden, Nick Jensen looked like he is regressing, and everyone is question, questioning everyone. Justin Schultz, uh, John Carlson is minus five in a game. You know, you look at all that, and what happens is the defensemen are hung out to dry so bad when the forwards aren't doing their part in the system 
And I think there was a come to Jesus meeting uh, with the coaching staff as to what had to happen, a little switch and a flip-flop of D-men and lines and assignments and what had to happen. And all of a sudden, they're making the New York Islanders look like they can't do anything. Really, anyone they're playing right now looks like they can't do anything. And that's a really good thing that they understand. When they have lost games, they've been beating themselves. And I don't think this season yet they've been beaten by another team. It's games where the Caps have beaten themselves by not adhering to the system the way they need to. Yeah, you know, I'm really glad you brought up systems because that was something that you know you you are able to explain better than you know just about anybody else, and it's certainly something I always want to learn more about, and and not something that I have a lot of knowledge on. And you know, people always want to know, you know, with Todd Reardon's system, it, you know, what were we looking at? And it didn't feel like there was an identity. You know, what is Laviolette's system done to establish an identity, and how does that do, do kind of differ from what we saw from Reardon last year? Well, one of the things I'll say about, you know, and I, and I say this as a jab, to be a jerk, to be a dick intentionally. When I say laptop hockey, <laughs> it's because I am so tired of people throwing knives at, at players and, and coaches because, you know, a lot of times, you know, you can have, you know, the fancy steps. Every team has an analytics department in the National Hockey League and it really has for about 10 years. And at one time, it was one guy on a laptop, you know, tracking this and that, and the video coaches. And now they've got entire teams in there looking for, you know, what, what's, the, what, what's the exact answer to cracking the code to being the best team in the National Hockey League? Well, you got a bouncing puck, you got weird boards, you got yucky ice, you know, and there's a lot of things that can happen in a game. But what I call laptop hockey is when you continually just do things because the computer says so, mm-hmm. but the computer doesn't have a man in your way. And, you know, depending who that man is in your way with this stick and where his support system is, there's certain plays you can't make. And I got into it with uh, someone on the coaching staff of the Caps in Carolina a couple of years ago in the playoffs. And I had ripped them, not, real, not a hardcore rip in the broadcast about the way they needed to play the puck, what they were doing. They won the Stanley Cup playing a relatively ugly brand of hockey and for the first time ever scored ugly goals in the playoffs in mass. And the ugliest goal ever, look at Lars Eller, game, that game three overtime uh, victory uh, goal that was just, uh, you know, 10 bounces on the way into the net and just a chunk shot, hits a shin pad, hits, a, you know, someone's ass, you know, just just everything wrong about a goal and they scored, but it's because they shot and got bodies in that. They weren't looking for the, the fancy pass, you know, the, you know, they kept getting the analytics were saying, well, he's susceptible to shots off the pass. Well, if three guys are in your way, you can't make the damn pass, get the puck to the net and shoot, you know, go, look for rebounds, look for junk bounces. And they got away from that the last two seasons. And to me, it was a soft offensive system that didn't value net front clutter. It didn't value the bounces of the game. It didn't value hardcore physicality. And, you know, so that's why there was a coaching change so quick with a guy that had a couple years left in his contract being paid very well. And then you get to what Laviolette system is. And when it's played properly, it can be very physical. It can be very frustrating uh, defensively. And it's a puck support thing. So everyone's got to be on it. There, there's, you can't have a passengers in the one three one system of Peter Laviolette defensively. Then offensively, they get pucks to the net. And, and when they're not playing well, they're not getting pucks there. 
they value traffic, they value physical play, they value you know screenshots, they value defensemen getting quicker shots toward the front of that quicker releases if you do pass to your partner. And you know, so the one thing about a Laviolette system is it values physical play. And just because I played physically doesn't mean it's the only thing that matters in hockey. What I've seen is the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Lightning got their shit together the last last year after getting punked a couple of years in the playoffs thinking they were going to pass the puck around you, use their fancy skills. But last year they were in your face. They were pushing and shoving. They were scrumming in front of the net, scoring ugly goals in mass, and they get themselves a Stanley Cup because they were a soft team. It's a mindset that you've got to do those extra things. And I look at the St. Louis Blues. No one, no one played a, a brawnier game than they did to win the Stanley Cup. You couldn't get to the middle of the ice on them, and then they, there was a ground and pound by everyone on their team. Traffic in front, so many goals with screenshots, rebounds, deflections. And really, I think that's a formula to winning in the playoffs. Pretty doesn't go get you far. And I've said this a thousand times, and every, you know anyone that's ever paying attention, you want to play pretty, we'll be watching – the other team's playing a bar stool. We'll be on a bar stool watching the other team play rough and tough hockey. And uh, you want to play pretty, it's got nowhere for you. Um, you know, it, it's funny that when you talk about it like that, it, the, the term that jumps to my mind is heavy hockey, right? That, that was the, what we heard so much from Barry Trotz back when he was the head coach. And it became a, such an integral part of the team. Um, and, and when the Capitals went and traded for Anthony Mantha, they obviously got a guy with a lot of skill, but also a big frame, right? A guy who's not afraid to engage physically. Um, what were your kind of thoughts on the Mantha trade, and what does he bring that maybe Jacob Rana didn't? Well, we'll go with Jake first. You know, and Jake, during the regular season the last couple of years, it was, was it 24 and 25 goals or 23 and 24 the last couple under Reardon? Very good regular season success when you just look at numbers. But he had, in the playoffs, playing – what I call laptop hockey, he had zeros and 15 games. If my memory it's zeros, well, Matthew Matha didn't have a point in the playoffs last two years, but he didn't play a damn playoff (laughs) game. Uh, So, so Jake is what's going to happen with Jake. And and I've said this publicly many times now is that he's going to do all right at the start with Detroit. And there's not a lot of season left. Uh, So he's going to pump up some numbers, but it's going to be really hard because he doesn't have the support that you have here. So it's going to be more on him. So he's going to be on an Island by himself, uh, kind of like Dylan Larkin. I was watching the Dallas stars game. One of the ones that uh, they actually lost Detroit lost last week. And they're talking about Larkin on the Dallas broadcast. And they're saying, well, you know, this is wrong in this game and this is wrong. Well, that's what happens when you play in a bad team and you don't have, they've got mostly throwaway players on that team and a couple of draft picks that I don't think should be in the lineup Uh, and guys that are paying handsomely well, but they don't have a heartbeat. They don't have the skills, in my opinion. They don't have the, you know, the other intangibles or the tangibles to make you, you know, a successful team. And so, you know, there's so much negativity around being on a team that's losing. And, you know, one night your goaltender lets in a soft one and that he's deflated because he knows he can't do that to you because you're not going to be able to score the goals to win. So Jake's going to go through, you know, he's a speed player. He likes the breakaway. He likes the, the odd man rush. Well, it's not always going to be there. So you look at, it's going to be tough. Now, he's a one-dimensional player, and I, I don't say that like he, he, you know, he's not a, a big-time defensive player. The work ethic probably was the thing that the coaching staff here didn't like. The, you know, he wasn't putting enough heart and soul on the back check and the little things that need to be done. You don't need him to be a crash-and-bang type of guy. 
but you need you need him to work. You need him to work for a puck on the wall inside the offensive zone. Now you go to Mantha. All we heard about him was he got he's got this wrong with him. He's got this wrong. He's got this wrong. He's inconsistent. Well, he got to walk in the dressing with living legends when he got to the Washington Capitals, and he went from eighth place in his division to first place in arguably the best division because all the teams that are in the top are pretty good over here, and he gets in there and he moves up 23 spots at that day. It was 23 spots in the standings and he's got a living legend that's still playing Alexander Ovechkin. And it's like, what the, and then you look over in the defensive side of the room, you got the Dano Chara, 44 year old living legend, Stanley cup champion, all the different accolades that he's had. And then you look around, Oh, wow. There's that guy, Nick Backstrom and John Carlson, Evgeny Kuznetsov's not too bad. Holy shit. TJ Oshie. So, it's an unbelievable room. So what he doesn't have to win the games all by himself. They're not looking for what's wrong. And I can't, I, I would say that anyone that's pointed out a flaw in Anthony Mantha right now is just being a, a jerk of the highest order because what has he done wrong since he's got here? Nothing. And you know what? He's big. He's six foot five. He's, you know, they always lie about their weight. I have no idea if he's 235 <laughs> or 245 or 250, right? Just like Ovi. You never know how big Ovi really yeah. is. So, you know, you look at that. So he, he fits in. He comes in the second line here. Well, he was the first line, basically, in Detroit. You know, they weren't getting the puck. You know, everything. It's just not the great defenseman that you have here moving the puck. You know, Mike Green was doing fine for a while there. But, you know, it catches up to Mike Green, too. And you look all through this roster, the, the six defensemen they're utilizing every night, whichever guys there are. It's pretty complete package back there. So what we've seen with him, incredible soft hands. Oh, they said he couldn't skate. Well, it's funny. Two crossovers, he can just skate around any defenseman there is, and he gets to the puck every time. He's tough on the wall. He's big. He's strong. And he can play pissed off. Last night we saw against the Islanders, he took a hit from someone. Next thing you know, he knocked three guys in their ass in the same shift. So he's got the physical part to him. He will drop the glove. Not that you want him doing that. But you know what? When you get a six foot five guy that has the capability of getting upset, that's scary to another team. And so I look at him, soft hands. I was kind of upset the last game. He didn't get on the ice in the five-on-three. I thought it was a, 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 a letdown by the coaching staff that they didn't throw him out there. They put Wilson on with Oshie, you know, because they moved Oshie over into the Ovechkin spot. And I thought they should have put Mantha. Uh, he's a legit goal scorer. And, but I just think there's so many things he can do, moving the puck, protecting it. His defensive play has been stellar. So he's a really good all-around player. And you know what? He's going to be really good for the Capitals because he's not going to have all the pressure of being the guy. He's going to be like the old school Detroit Red Wings, and they had that Iserman guy, yeah. and then he was backed up by that Datsuk guy, by that Zetterberg guy. And you know, you had all those different guys that were pretty damn awesome on the lineup, and then you could just plug in your draft picks here and there, whether they were first or second, and, and they didn't come up and get to play till they deserved to. And so Mantha is going to fit in very well with the Capitals. And I think he's going to be more conducive to playoff success than Jake Verana with this system. And he's going to have, they're going to be very happy. The fans are the coaching staff, management, everyone because of that trade. And, you know, you had to spend a lot to get rid of Richard Ponick. Yeah. Bottom line, you know, when that trade, everyone was like, well, that's a lot. Well, I had said that it was going to take at least a second to move Ponick and hopefully not a prospect. And, so there was that, and then for Mantha, you bought salary cap, you know, the first-round pick, you send Jake, and, you know, you just you, you bought size. You can't teach big, and so it, it looked like a lot of the time, but 
you know, how good is the if if you win the Stanley Cup, you know, how good is the the thirty second draft pick going to be, or you know, what is it, the twenty seventh? Th- those are tough picks to make. So, you know, I don't make the pick, you don't make the pick, the fans don't make the picks. It's not our job. So I don't really give a damn about trade draft picks at this point. And uh, I just think the players are on the ice what we're judging right now. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, it, it, it's certainly, um, you know, Verona had some great moments with Washington. Uh, They're all in the past, and it, it's going to be exciting to see what, what moments Mantha brings down the pipeline. I mean, he's already showed some great chemistry with Backstrom um, and Oshie. Uh, talking about another kind of big-bodied player, um, it feels like all, all eyes, whether it be the people on Twitter or more important, much more importantly, the, the Department of Player Safety is watching Tom Wilson very closely right now. Um, what do you think he has to do to stay impactful? You know, how, how he's really been impactful for years without kind of catching the ire of DOPS. We definitely I mean, the Capitals need him in the lineup for them to be to be successful. Yeah, they absolutely do. And they've got it. They need a better Tom Wilson than they've had since he's come back from a suspension. And I love the way he's played over the years. Um, I'm surprised a couple of different times he didn't get suspended for hits. And I'm not looking for big giant ones. I go back to Philadelphia on Braden Shen uh, years ago, and he just kabonged him. And it was a long run and yep. took him out hard. And I couldn't believe he talked his way out of that suspension. <laughs> but I think the big suspension he had this year was BS. And because we saw within days of that, and we've seen before that, worst hits that were more, you know, there was more malice, but I, I would say the advice I would give to Wilson is just keep your damn stick on the ice. Just keep one hand on your stick when you go and it'll change your body positioning. As soon as you lift your legs up and this is the defense that I say, when you have to defend a hit from this end, well, where's his arm position is, is it his elbow up? Well, if your stick is on the ice, your arms are down regardless. Uh, if you touch the puck first, as you go into that hit, with your stick, you're going to change your body position. And there's a lot of body for Tom. He's massive. He's got the best physique on that team. When you're looking, it's nothing but muscle. He's huge. He's 6'3 or 6'4. He's a rock, 225 or so. Uh, another guy, he could probably be 245. We don't know. He's massive. But he's got good speed. He's got incredible strength. But I think changing that, and that would change his game. Because right now, he's not engaging in any physical contact. And I think that really hurts him because he's starting to swing on pucks. And he's even starting a loop. And a loop is when you go all the way away. It's like you turn like a 747. It takes a while to get back. And then there's a hole in the ice. So I, I think he's got to get back to his game. And they're paying way too much. The Caps general manager and, and Tom, everyone's paying way too much attention. And if they're going to spend that much time watching tw- Twitter, why don't they start going after all the other bullshit hits out there that we see every night yeah. and the hypocrisy and everything. And, and I, you know, Tim Peel took, you know, he took a shot from the National Hockey League. They, they ended his career. Uh, it was going to be over by now anyways. I, th- I think this week would have been his last game. And regardless, as a retiring referee. And I, I just look, I, I can't stand the, the managing of games where I gave these guys three penalties and I'm going to even it up. We saw that last night, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that too many games. Uh, and Craig Lachlan will always identify that, that they're, oh, it's time you're going to expect the Caps are going to get the next four insurers. Sure shit, it does. And you look at that. But I, but I, I can't stand uh, the referee reconciliation sheet where they come in and they go, I remember Alexander Summon once got a, a two-minute embellishment penalty when he got tripped. His feet went up in the air. He smashed his head. They gave him a, a minor for embellishment. 
Meanwhile, he ends up being out of the lineup with a concussion because he, uh, you know, he smashed his head on purpose to embellish. That's a bunch of, that's a crock. And, you know, they go into the games. Well, he, Simmons, uh, Simmons, the guy that embellishes, uh, uh, Nick Backstrom slashes. I remember when Obi was getting a slashing on the hands thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, it's got to be the same for everyone. I don't care about repeat offenders. A penalty is a penalty is a penalty. I don't care what time it is. Uh, be consistent with it. If it wasn't a trip in the first period, how could it be in the third? Um, just because it's number 43, it, it, it's, uh, it's the five-minute major versus the exact same hit that, say, number nine throws. And so I think every player needs to be judged the same. And, you know, if they're egregious, violent, blatant, then it's easy to make those calls. And I think making these random numbers, and I thought the league did them dirty by giving the suspension, the number they did, because we all knew that by the time they appealed it, what would have happened, they probably would have been 10 games and the suspension and all of that would have been over. And they said, oh, yeah, you're right. It should only have been no games. Because it really, the, the evidence that you could use if it was a legitimate court to argue all your cases, the NHL wouldn't have anything to stand on because it, it's hypocritical in all, all, the, all of these decisions. And they pay way too much attention to Twitter. It's almost like cancel culture of Tom Wilson out there. Yeah. And to me, it's garbage. Definitely. I mean, it's um, I've, I've never seen a single player get called out as much as Tom Wilson is on Twitter. And it's, it's uh, definitely looks like it's impacting how. Uh, the yeah, but. By the, by the nameless, faceless minions of nothing. And, you know, they just, just, you know, people just attack it. You know, it's like, you know, and we've even, like, just to go how ignorant Twitter is, like, the, the fact that the league gives it any credence at all as far as to make a call. You know, I, look, Brandon Willen had a, Brandon Dillon had a tough game, a, tough game a couple of weeks back. And uh, I looked on Twitter, and all of a sudden, the, the things that people were saying, you would have swore that he drove his car through a protest and, and killed 50 people. Like, it's just ridiculous how people go off on there. And, you know, if I, if I went after every person that said something moronic on there, you know, aimed at the players, aimed at the team, any team, uh, I would have no life. I would, I would be on there nonstop because that's all. There's so much garbage on there. And, uh, you know, to me, it's a delete and block the morons when they get like that. Yeah, no, for sure. Wish the NHL would do the same, uh, for sure. Um, on a more positive note, Daniel Sprong has been playing fantastic hockey. I mean, he's been very productive. Um, it seems like every time he gets a sweater, he's getting himself on the score sheet. Um, how do you see him fitting into the Capitals' plans once Ovechkin is back in the lineup? Well, that's going to be the toughest call of all because when we look at it, uh, the eye test, and then we, we, we take the numbers test. If you're tracking the third line of Michael Roffel, Sherry, and Eller is kicking ass and they were wearing out other teams defensemen. It's been, it's a small sample size right now. So it's a tough one. What do you do with all these lines? Like who's in, who's out, you know, sometimes you don't even have to make that decision because there's another injury that always pops his head up. But, you know, right now he's fitting very well with Kuznetsov and Wilson. He's moving his legs. He's driving the net. The, the attitude he's displayed has been phenomenal in being the guy that goes on the lineup. But the big thing now with coaching staff and a good coach, one thing the players that I've talked to about uh, LaViolette, uh, they love the honesty. They love the directness. And, and and people take that as, well, he's just an ass kicker. Well, no, no, no. He tells the truth like in, in all ways, kind of like a, a father, a brother. Uh, you know, it's a good environment. The players love it. So regardless of who comes out of the lineup, like look how good TBR has been in and out of the lineup. 
it's because the communication of the coaching staff of Laviolette and Kevin McCarthy has been phenomenal. And so, you know, Sprong has come in every time ready. He's been motivated when he's been out of the lineup to continue his work ethic, to continue to hone his skills and, you know, and be ready. And, you know, a lot of that, it's not just physically, your brain has to be in the right place. And he's shown that because I know in the past, attitude is one of the things I heard that was keeping him out of the National Hockey League. If you look now, all I'm hearing is positive about him from inside the dressing room, uh, management, it, it's all positive. So it means, and then the, you look at him laughing and joking on the ice, uh, from my experience, it means that the players love him. And so that's a good thing. So what are they going to do with him? I have no idea because it, it's a tough one. Everyone automatically thinks Raffle comes out of the lineup. But when you look at how dominant that line has been out there five on five, you know, they might not be getting the tucks, the goals yet, but they're wearing teams down and, and they're the, the play that they're doing in the trapezoid and the low slot to get pucks to the net and to get other teams to, to screw up. The Islanders had no answer for that line. Uh, they were all over them. They were flying and it, it, they've done a really good job. So it's going to be a tough call for the coaching staff. And it, it's, it's good. It's a great problem. And I'm sure that everyone thinks Sprung is the greatest thing in the world right now. Uh, he's still a young player. He's still got a lot, a lot of hockey. He's got to be, good and i i expect that it's going to be a tough decision and i i would think i wouldn't be surprised if he had to take a seat for raffle at the start but you never know you know obi's going to be out who knows how much longer he could be out another week he could be out two weeks three you know we don't know but right now things are working and if they don't work and there's no obi then you just go back to more line shuffles maybe you move Manta over to the right wing and and drop you know the right wings down and, and you know, put Sprong somewhere else. You never know how this all shakes out because of the injuries. Yeah, it's nice to have options, and the Capitals definitely have that. Sprong's been just fantastic, productive all year, and same thing with uh, Connor Sheary. Um, the playoffs are almost upon us. Um, is there a team that you think the Capitals match up best against, or is there anybody that you think they should be more worried about? I mean, you've already told us, told our listeners about how, how good you think the Capitals are when they execute their system. Yeah, well, they, in my opinion, they play their system practically. They can beat anyone. And so, I mean, it's got to be a disciplined game, though. It's got to be a 60-minute. You know, sometimes in the playoffs, it's a 120-minute game. But, you know, the big thing to me is, is they under – I think they finally understand how important it is everyone in that five-man unit has to be in regards to the four-check, the defensive responsibilities, because you make the D look so bad as a forward if you're not doing all the right things up there. Um, and – I would say no matter what, to me, it's always Pittsburgh. And because I look at Sidney Crosby, and I know Malkin's not in. He may play tomorrow uh, in the next game. And the Chris Letang is still phenomenal. The guy's a, he's a stud. He is. I love the way he plays the game. He's physical. He's highly combative out there. He's phenomenal with the puck. He's actually got more points than John Carlson right now, I think, or maybe, no, maybe Carly's got a couple more, but Latang has been kicking ass this year again. And, and I think he's worked well with Todd Rudin in the past. You know, Todd Rudin's a really good defense coach. And, uh, you know, that some of the guys that they have there, I look at Matheson's been nice, uh, has been really good and getting better there. Cody Cece has been really good, probably playing better than he ever has there. Now, John Marino is a guy that's up and coming. Brian Dumoulin, their team all of a sudden, Brian Dumoulin gets back, gets his legs under him. They're a completely different team when he's in the lineup. But I look at them, they're top-heavy to me. They don't have all the soldiers. I like the cap depth, 
But once again, Sidney Crosby to be is still the best all round, most competitive centerman in the National Hockey League. And he's highly competitive. He competes hard every shift and every game, gives it his all. And that's what makes you have to respect and worry about Pittsburgh no matter what if you got to play them in the playoffs. That's perfect. Alan, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I've loved your coverage this year. I found it really entertaining, all the segments you've done with all the former players and, and just, you know, all, all the stuff you've done throughout the year. So thank you very much for the time. And, um, you know, all of, our, all of our listeners will see you on the TV tomorrow. Yeah, thanks a lot, Adam. I appreciate it, man. Thank you.